Well, good morning. Ooh. Oh, it's so good to see you all. And it was nice to have a week off and have a little break there, wasn't it? To gather whoever you gathered with to celebrate. Much to be thankful for, don't we? Even just gathering here together um, with open Bibles week after week and the freedom to do that. What a privilege that is, right? So thankful for that. Thankful for each one of you. Um, so here we are in the last three chapters of 1 Samuel, and I thought, didn't we just hear Hannah pray? And didn't we just see David kill a giant with just a sling and a stone? But here we are in the last three chapters. And I thought, if we went around the room right now, really, and heard each one of you give us your takeaway from 1 Samuel, I'm sure it would be different, right? We've learned so much. There's so much we've learned. So I'm going to jump right in here, and we're, I'm going to attempt to cover these last three chapters. It, it was a bit challenging. I don't know how you felt when you did your lesson. but um, Well, 1 Samuel opened with the birth of a gifted baby, Samuel. And it closes with the death of a guilty man, King Saul. The early chapters, remember, were clustered around the tabernacle where God spoke to the young Samuel. And the closing chapters focus on a forsaken man to whom God refused to speak. First Samuel is the book of a man's king and a record of Saul's decline, defeat, and death. So here we are at the end of First Samuel, chapters 29, 30, and 31. And like the previous chapters, these are full of action, uh, and many of these events and these accounts are happening simultaneously, which makes it super easy to follow, right? But if you can imagine, really, chapter 30 and 31 are happening at the same time. It contains both these chapters, really the whole book, contains both examples for us to follow as well as warnings for us to avoid. Uh, it reveals a final contrast between Saul and David in these three chapters, and Saul displaying a life marked by self-reliance, and David one of God-reliance. The book ends tragically heavy and sad. And don't you just hate to read a book and have a sad ending and wish you'd never started it? <laughs> well, let me begin first. Uh, just really, let me stop and let's, let's pray. Will you join me? Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we bow before you. And as we sung this morning, worthy, worthy are you and you alone. Father, I ask that you would um, have your way here this morning, that the Holy Spirit would hover over us, that as we open up your word together, Lord God, your living and active word, that you would use it to meet each one of us where we're at. Use your word, Lord, to draw us near to yourself that we might love you more and serve you more. And I ask all of this in the precious and the holy name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to jump right in here, and you can follow along or you can just listen, whatever you're comfortable with. But I'm going to start um, reading through chapter 29. <clears throat> now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. As the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish, the commanders of the Philistines said, what are these Hebrews doing here? 
And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Well, is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years? And since he deserted to me, I have found no fault to him to this day. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back, that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. So how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is not this David of whom they sing to one another in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Achish called David and he said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been honest, and to me it seems right that you should march out and and with me in the campaign. For I have found nothing wrong in you from the day you're coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you. So go back now and go peaceably, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. And David said to Achish, But what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now? that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king? And Achish answered David and said, I know that you are blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, he shall not go up with us to battle. Now then, rise early in the morning with the servants of your lord who came with you and start early in the morning and depart as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. But the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Well, now the Philistines didn't trust David to fight against Israel, did they? They knew who he was, and their commanders considered David a threat. But what we see here, really, what we see overarching in all of this is the providential Philistine rescue of David. Providentially, working through the distrust of the Philistine Leaders, the Lord delivered David from his dilemma, didn't he? From his dilemma in which he would have to fight against God's people, Israel. So the Lord providentially arranged these events in David's life so that he and his men were able to respond to the crisis we come to in chapter 30. I'll just read the first few verses for us. Now, when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to their wives and sons and daughters taken captive, then David and the people who were with him raised, I'm sorry, had found their daughters, wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his own sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. 
key verse right there, right? And David said to Abathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord. He said, he asked, he inquired, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He, God, answered him, pursue, for you shall surely take and shall surely rescue. Excuse me. Eager to return to their home away from home, David and his men had set out on a three-day journey, leaving early in the morning. They marched approximately 80 miles south from the Jezreel Valley, close to the Sea of Galilee, to the Philistine city of Ziklag. But instead of a warm homecoming, they returned to their city where the Amalekites had burned it to the ground. Can you imagine how David and the men must have felt? Hungry, tired, eager for rest. But we're given this picture of what real grieving looks like. David and his people raised their voices, weeping until they had no more strength to weep. Now, I think God's word doesn't by accident have any any word written down, right? So this is all written for us to read. And, and I love this description of the grieving that they experienced. Um, so David and his people raised their voices, weeping until they had no more strength to weep. What a picture, right? It seemed that David had lost everything, including his two wives. And now for the first time, his own men were turning against him, wanting to stone him. He had lost everything. But what does David do in his great distress? He strengthens himself in the Lord his God. Where David's strength fails, God's strength takes over. Isn't that just like God? Well, what did this look like for David to strengthen himself in the Lord? And what did it look like for David? And what does it look like for you and I today? By faith, David turned to the word of God and to the priest of God. He drew strength from knowing that he was doing God's will and obeying God's word. It strengthened him knowing that. What a great example for us, right? In our distress, we can turn to the word of God and our great high priest, Jesus. And then it says that David inquired of the Lord. And I love this because what happened when David inquired of the Lord? It says he, God, answered him. I know we've read this before, and we read it all throughout the scripture, but may we never tire of reading He, God, God of the universe, creator of all, one who keeps all things together by the power of His word, hears and answers our prayers. Isn't that remarkable? Let me pick up where we left off, reading, beginning with chapter, or I'm sorry, uh, verse 9. So David set out, and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook Besor, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued, as God had told him, and he and 400 men, 200 stayed behind, who were too exhausted to cross the brook. They found, just happened to find, right, an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. And they gave him bread, and he, and he ate. They gave him water to drink, and they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived, for he had not 
eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? He said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite, and my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. We had made a raid against Negeb of the Cherethites and against, the, against that which belongs to Judah and against the Negeb of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. Just the information David needed, right? And David said to him, Will you take me down to this band? And he said, Swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this band. And when he had taken him down, behold, they were spread abroad over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David struck down from twilight until the evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped, except for 400 men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing. Whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken, David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. So we see David defeats the Amalekites, recovering how much? All. All that the Amalekites had taken. He rescued his two wives, and nothing was missing. David brought back all, just as God had promised. David had strengthened himself in the Lord, his God, and God had been faithful to answer. Well, I love this note, uh, footnote from my Gospel Transformation Bible, and I know it's on your outline, but I want to read it for us as well. It reads, The habits of a lifetime show themselves in extreme circumstances. From an early age, David was convinced that even a giant among the uncircumcised Philistines was no match for his big God. Through the encouragement of a faithful friend like Jonathan, David had developed the habit of finding strength in God. Great example for us, right? And what does David do with this spoil upon returning? What does he do? We find that he gives to the men who had gone with him to fight, but as he also, we see that he gives the 200 men who'd been too exhausted to join them. But David's generosity bothered the wicked and worthless fellows, didn't it? But David recognized that it had been the Lord who had given them the victory. So no one was more entitled to the spoil than another. David also gave to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying to them, Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. Again, most of these events, 30 and 31, specifically I said earlier, chapter 30, 31, are happening simultaneously. So as we just took that in, that is happening. In this last chapter, we find the Philistines fighting against Israel. And it's a heavy, heavy chapter to end with, isn't it? So I'll read it for you. <laughs> Let me cheer you up. <clears throat> chapter 31. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Geboa. 
And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malchi Shu, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died, and his three sons, and his armor bearer, and all his men on the same day together. And when the men of Israel, who were on the other side of the valley, and those beyond the Jordan, saw that the men of Israel had fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled. And the Philistines came and lived in them. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Geboa. So they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. They put his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. How tragic, right? How very sad. It was a day of disgrace. It was a day of defeat. The death of Jonathan is really hard to read, isn't it? A terrible and tragic loss. This was the life of a man who was faithful and loyal, a friend and a mentor to David. Jonathan was used by God for good. Well, we'll learn of David's grief over the loss of a friend when we get to 2 Samuel. Saul lost his army, he lost his life, and he lost his honor, didn't he? With the Philistine army having its large divisions and numbers of chariots, Saul's soldiers were no match for them. And after being badly wounded, Saul asked his armor bearer to kill him, but he refused. Saul feared that he would be tortured to death as the Philistines were known for abusing and humiliating victims, especially officers and kings. So out of fear, Saul fell on his own sword, taking his own life. Tim Chester writes in his book titled, First Samuel for You, Saul's suicide is symbolic. The Philistines did not remove him from his throne. David did not remove him from his throne. He refused to do so. Saul did it himself. He fashioned his own downfall through his faithlessness and disobedience, and this was then confirmed by his suicide. And let me just take a moment here and pause, um, because I am aware um, uh, this topic of suicide is a painful one, and I know that some of you know this personally to be true. Suicide comes as a shock to family and to friends, right? And it also comes with it many questions that perhaps you never get the answers this side of heaven. So let me pick up where I left off. 
But then the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul. And all the valiant men, it says, arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bashan, and they came to Jabesh and burned them there, and they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. There's a tenderness of these last verses closing out this book. After traveling 15 to 20 miles at night, crossing the Jordan River, and having to travel through enemy territory, which would have been very dangerous for these valiant men, they showed honor to the king Saul in his death. They did a right and courageous thing. Saul hadn't been a spiritual leader, no, but he had been a courageous leader, and he was the first king of Israel. And I thought, you know, it is right, and we can respect and honor a position or an office without necessarily agreeing with or liking the person, right? Throughout 1 Samuel, we've watched the lives of David and Saul, and we've received both examples to follow as well as warnings to avoid. So I want us to consider some of the intentional contrasts that we've learned, and I know you could make a list uh, of, of more of your own, and perhaps you've already been doing this when we've been, as we've been studying. But the intentional contrast we have seen between David and Saul, a few of them. One, David was God-reliant. He relied upon, trusted in, and followed the Lord his God. While Saul was self-reliant, following his own way. Side note, <laughs> more than once during... Uh, my studying these chapters and writing up this lecture, I had to stop, put my pen down or stop typing, really, I mean this, um, and just think, well, where in my own life am I still relying on something or someone else other than God? And I think we can do that easily without even knowing it, right? So maybe just a good prayer would be every once in a while, Lord, show me what is it that I am trusting someone or something in where I should be trusting you. That just a little side note, just something that I did. Um, and that was God's grace, right? To allow us to have those times. Well, David's life was characterized by faith, contrasting. Saul's life was characterized by fear. David operated and acted out of faith most of the time. And uh, Saul acted out of fear. So I walking faithfully with the Lord... David gained hope. Saul's envy of the young David's success made Saul become paranoid and dangerous. And because of his disobedience and really pride, Saul lost everything, even hope. Although David was chosen by God and even called a man after God's own heart, I think it's important for us to remember that David made mistakes, right? In his human condition, he didn't live the perfect life. But just as God did in David's life, he does in ours. In his grace, he saves us over and over and over again, doesn't he? In spite of our mistakes, in spite of ourselves. And I find that encouraging. We've also watched the lives of others in the book of Samuel. Let's think about these for a minute. Let's go way back. Hannah, she was a godly and humble woman whose submission and faith in God are example for all of us to follow. Eli, 
a compromising priest. Samuel, a faithful servant. Saul, an unstable king. Jonathan, a generous friend. And David, a courageous shepherd. Warren Rearsby, in his book in, on 1 Samuel, writes this of David. God first trained David in solitude. Remember, he's out on the field, he's alone, he's a shepherd. So God first trained David in solitude as he cared for the flock. And when the time was right, when God's timing was right, he thrust him on stage and he trained him even more in suffering. Solitude in suffering. Some of his brothers criticized him. His king tried to kill him. But David lived his life open before the Lord and never turned back. He goes on to say, no, David wasn't perfect, nor did he claim to be. But his heart was fixed, and his consuming desire was to glorify God and finish his work. Though on occasion he wavered because of doubts, David believed God's promises and never turned back in unbelief. He goes on to say, he was Israel's greatest king. I love this part. And always will be until King Jesus reigns on David's throne as the Prince of Peace. And so the book ends where it began, with the Philistines winning a victory and the death of Israel's leader, along with his sons. But aren't we thankful this isn't the end of the story? Because when we return in January, we'll enter into the second book of Samuel. So I provided a few questions uh, on your outline simply for self-reflection, questions to ask ourselves. One, in times of crisis, do I depend on my own strength or the Lord's? Two, do I tend to look at my problems and become fearful? Yes, sometimes. <laughs> or do I look to God and have my faith increase? And finally, how has 1 Samuel shown me who Jesus is and moved me to love and to worship him more? Because ultimately, that's our goal in studying God's word, right? To come to know him better and to love him more. So let's be encouraged by remembering that the same God who is faithful in God's life is faithful in our life. The same God who sovereignly and providentially oversaw all the details of the life of David is sovereign and providential in overseeing ours as well, right? And let's be encouraged that the same God who answered David when he inquired of him hears and answers our prayers as well. For God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So may he find us faithful. Let me pray. Oh Lord God, we bow before you in adoration, in thanksgiving. And Lord, we thank you for allowing us to know you, to freely worship you, to study your word. But mostly, Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his life, his resurrection, for his life, his death, his resurrection. We thank you for the example, his example, that we're called to follow. And we thank you for the examples of others, Father, you've recorded by the Holy Spirit's inspiring work for men to 
pen these words that we might gain understanding of the scriptures and might have these examples to follow. So, Father, I ask uh, just a blessing on our time as we move forward into our group discussion that, as always, we learn from one another and we just give you thanks and we give you praise and we ask all of this in the precious and the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.